Hello and welcome to the Truth For Doubt discussion series. I am your host, Michael Badger, and this week, Dr. Ethan and I have a conversation with former professional boxer and three-time title holder, Ebo Elder. I hope I said that correctly because if I didn't, he could definitely beat me up. Ebo has also appeared on the ESPN reality boxing show, The Contender, but he is now a Christian speaker, Bible teacher, and author of his book, The Great Comeback, which is available for pre-order at his website, eboelder.com. But we talk with Ebo about his journey to faith, what it's like to be a Christian in the professional sports world, as well as how God used challenges in his life to draw him into ministry. We hope that you enjoy this discussion, which you could also find on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. If you would also like to know how you can support the Truth For Doubt ministry, please visit patreon.com slash T, the number 4D. That's patreon.com slash T4D. We hope that you enjoy our discussion with Ebo Elder. Ebo Elder, thank you so much, man, for uh, for being willing to do this and take take time out of your, I'm sounds like super busy schedule to to talk to two idiots, really. really. <laughs> it's, it's hard to come up with a better descriptor than that. You're not lying. So. <laughs> Nothing I'd rather be doing right now than talking to you guys. <laughs> well, um, I've known you for a while, but I haven't talked to you in a really long time. I uh, I was part of your your college group in in Knoxville for a while. What have you been up to like since then? You told us a little bit about what's going on before we started the interview, but what what are you really doing at the moment? Yeah, so right now I am um, about to uh, publish my first book, and uh, it's my autobiography. It's called The Great Comeback, and it's it's taken more blood, sweat, and tears out of me than anything else to write this book, and and that's that says a lot coming from a pro boxer, you know, because I've yeah. I've bled more than most, but um, yeah. So getting the book done, I, I had the first manuscript was completed uh, in December of last year, and. Uh, I had it at the printer in January. We were ready to pull the trigger. And then um, my chief advisor uh, counseled me that we should, um, it was, he loved it. It had tons of potential, but it just wasn't quite where it needed to be. So Mm -hmm. we, uh, we have just now hired a New York times bestselling author slash editor to work with me for the next, He's estimating um, four to six months, but work together and sharpen it and shorten it as well and um, just get it, make it the best it can be for the Lord. And uh, and so that's a that's taking a lot of my time is this book. Uh, I also have a construction business that I run and it's um, that takes a lot of time as well. Um, and then I travel a lot and, and do a lot of evangelism and Bible teaching around the country. So it's a pretty full schedule. When Michael told me that uh, he that you guys were um, acquaintances and he was like, hey, I know this guy who I think will be really great um, for an interview. I was like, awesome. Um, but I, I really still don't very, don't really know very much about you. Um, and, you know, I know that you mentioned that you're definitely a believer and that you've been a pro boxer, but um, if you don't mind, yeah, tell me a little bit 
sort of about yourself and um, maybe a little bit about how you got into boxing and yeah yeah so um so i i uh i have an older sister she's seven years older uh, my dad always wanted a son and he wanted a son that he could you know so this son could be a fighter my dad loves boxing and um he was uh bummed out because after he had my sister they didn't think my parents didn't think they could have any more kids and it was pretty pretty hard uh, reality for him to face, but lo and behold, seven years later, I was born. Um, interestingly, had some pretty serious complications. Doctors said I could never play contact sports, so oh, my wow. dad uh, additionally bummed out. And uh, but he's always been one to break rules and just so <laughs> yeah. Three years old, man, he started teaching me how to box and. The doctor's orders were a distant memory to him. Oh, man. <laughs> so from a very early on, man, I remember being uh, in, in kindergarten. The teacher asked the all-famous question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we still have the, the paper that I wrote. I, wanna, I love boxing. I want to be a world champion. Oh, wow. Mm. So it was ingrained in me from a very early age. And, and honestly... Um, I don't know that it was all that healthy, the things that were ingrained in me. You know, I believe that if I was on every Wheaties box in America by the time I was 17 or 18 years old, that I was a failure. And it was really kind of ingrained in me from a very early age that um, my my identity and my value came through success and accomplishment. Gotcha. And, um, and that's something I, I probably didn't even realize until... I don't know, recent years of how that affected me growing up and um, and the worldview it gave. Yeah. So anyway. Where, where yeah. did you grow up? Like, where, where, where are you originally from? I'm originally from a little town outside of Atlanta, Georgia, called Noonan. Okay. Yeah, Noonan, Georgia. Um, I, I had my first boxing match at 10 years old. Uh, I fought as an amateur until I was uh, 19. I had about 160 amateur fights. Wow. And then uh, I turned pro in June of 2000, and uh, my pro record's 22-3 and three with 16 knockouts. Um, one fight of the year, knockout of the year on Showtime in 2004, um, was on the second season of the ESPN reality show The Contender. And... Um, and yeah, and, and you know, I, I had a, I had three championship bells and pretty successful career. But man, I look back and I, I see my whole career. And your know, hindsight's twenty twenty, man. I look right. back and I see that God used my career to give me a platform for ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, gave me just enough success to get that platform, but not enough success that I would miss my calling. And um, right, how awesome. Yeah, I'm certainly thankful for that. So, how did you how did you end up coming to faith? Um, was it was it during your uh, your boxing career? Or was it before your boxing career? Afterwards? How did that How did that happen? Yeah, you know, man, um, unexplainably, at a very early age, I, I just believed in the God of the Bible. Um, I believed that Jesus was everything He says He is, <laughs> and and it's really unexplainable because. My family and I didn't start going to church until um, till, till maybe uh, second or third grade. And, um, 
and, and I had this unexplained faith even before that. Um, I told my mom and dad when I was eight years old that I wanted to get baptized and asked me why. And I said, because I know Jesus wants me to, so I want to get baptized. Wow. And, uh, and, I, and I did. And, you know, I had this really an unmistakable faith. It was unmistakable, but it was still shakable. And, um, yeah. and that was because it was, in, you know, kind of an immature faith. It wasn't, it wasn't tested. It wasn't grounded in the word. Um, it was largely based on emotion, I guess. Um, anyway, so, you know, the, the typical story, you know, through high school temptation, um, uh, and so, you know, persecution from my, my somewhat vocal nature of my faith and in, in the earlier, you know, eighth grade, ninth grade. And, and I just kind of got off track, man. And, you know, what I, what I say, I was say that, you know, <laughs> It's really hard for me to put a finger on, you know, would I, would I have went to heaven if I died? You know, I don't know, man. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Would I have professed Jesus as my Savior? Yeah, I would have. So probably I was saved. But I think that I know when the difference in my life happened, and that was the end of 2003. Um, I, I had already boxed professionally for a year and a half i was using the banner of jesus you know i was thanking my lord and savior jesus christ when i would win but i wasn't living for him and uh, you know the bible says that god will not be mocked and you can only you know get away with that for so long mm-hmm. and uh after 16 pro fights um 17th pro fight was a big one it was a seven figure Showtime contract on the table. All I had to do is beat a, beat a guy I should beat. And, um, and I pride had crept in, and, and basically the Lord put my career to an end very quickly, just brought it to an end. Two and a half years later, into 2003, I'm, I'm you know, running my construction deal, thought I'd never box again, had walked away completely from God. And I had what I'd like to just, the best way I can describe it is a burning bush moment. Yeah, and, and God intervened into my life. It was a really desperate time for me and my wife. You know, we had actually been married, divorced, and remarried by this point. Um, that's a that's a long story in and of itself. But it was really a desperate time in my life, and God just intervened and and saved me and called me back to boxing. Um, much like when he, you know, called Moses at 80 years old back to himself and back to free the Israelites. God called me back to himself and back to boxing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and wow. it was at that moment, you know, I, I, you know, the, the, I, I would just, the only way I can explain what happened to me is, is, and I know this can, uh, depending upon the circles can have many different, um, this phraseology can have many different things connected to it. And I, that's unfortunate, <laughs> but, but, uh, the baptism of the Holy spirit is mm-hmm. what I would say radically changed my life to the point that I've never looked back. And, um, I know that the baptism of the Holy spirit to, to many, they're not sure what that means. And many think they know what it means and wish they didn't. And, <laughs> <laughs> sure. but, but um but you know we see that 
the difference in, in Peter. You know, before the day of Pentecost, Peter was afraid and you know um, denying Christ and stumbling and making you know and active impulsively and all these things. And then the day of Pentecost comes, and from that moment on, he led the, you know led the charge for for the Christian faith, man, and and did it did it in godliness and integrity yeah. and and power, you know. Yeah. Well, what was that? What was that turning point for you? Well, it was the end of 2003. I wish I had a date. I don't have a date, <laughs> but um, but God just did a work. You know, I I can't even put a finger on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So God did something. You know, I think it's in Ephesians that Paul says he went to Ephesus and he saw the grace of God. And I've read that before and I've, and it so resonates with me. What does the grace of God look like? It looks like a changed life. Right. Yeah. When you see lives that have been radically transformed, that's what grace looks like. And, mm -hmm. and all I can explain, man, is, is, is the only way I can explain it is God poured his grace out in my life and he did an awesome work. And I've, awesome. I've looked back. You know, I've stumbled here and there as we do, but I can't look back. You know, right? Yeah, that's huge, man. That's huge. Yeah. So when you when you got pulled back into uh, or called back into boxing, what did that look like? Did you have problems with with the other pro boxers who looked at you different? What was it like to be a Christian in the in the pro boxing sphere? <laughs> well, you know. Uh, along with the call back to boxing came some very bold proclamations on my part. Um, we had a friend. Um, well, from the very beginning, I, I, I knew that this was, I was in boxing because that's where God wanted me. And really, uh, you know, when you have that realization, it brings with it a lot of confidence you know, mm -hmm. because I, 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 I knew it wasn't me doing this. It was God. Yeah, absolutely. And it wasn't necessarily confidence that I would win. I was just, I wasn't worried about it. Like, I was like, look, God's will is going to happen. I'm prepared. I'm ready to fight. Whatever God, you know, his will be done, you know. So early on, my... Uh, after my first comeback fight in 2004, that was in January, um, I fought a 10-round main, main event on a little club show at uh, the Tabernacle in downtown Atlanta. And um, it, was, it, was, it was big for us, man. I hadn't been in the ring in two and a half years, and, and, uh, and it was a big comeback win for us. And right after that, a friend of ours told us that he really felt God was speaking to his heart about my career and that in our seventh comeback fight, everything we had purposed in our hearts would come to pass. Now, when we heard that, we didn't really know how to interpret what that meant. You know, everything we yeah. purposed in our hearts. I, mean, I don't know. I didn't know exactly what it meant, but, but I thought maybe it meant that I was going to win a world title in my seventh comeback fight. Mm-hmm. So from that moment on, we began telling everybody that we were going to fight for and win the world title. In my <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, first people thought we were nuts. They thought that for quite a while. 
Um, but the, but my next so anyway so so okay I'm one and zero in my comeback. It's early two thousand four, and I'm telling people in my seventh comeback fight, just six fights from now, I'm gonna win a world title. Now, <laughs> that's, that's nuts. Okay. Yeah. Especially, especially from a guy like me, I'm a white dude that grew up on a gravel road in Georgia. And <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, that's some like Conor McGregor level confidence right there, man. Totally. And uh, <laughs> honestly, well, I mean, that's like next level because nobody predicts seven fights out what's going to happen. I mean, that's like, right. I mean, nobody does that. I, I think, you know, Muhammad Ali once said he was going to um, knock knock his opponent out in eight, and I think he did. Um, and that's that's pretty cool. But when you say, Six fights from now, I'm going to fight for the world title and win it. That's nuts. Yeah, yeah. So how do, how does that happen for a guy that hasn't been in the ring in two and a half years except one little club show fight? Yeah. Here's what happens. One night, uh, my dad came, or then one morning, my dad came to me. He said he had a dream, and he said that God told it, told said to him, go, go to the enemy's camp and take back what has been stolen. Now... What had been stolen from us? You know what had been stolen? Time. Mm. You know, we had lost a lot of time. And I didn't have it in me to climb the ranks again for 10 more years. Right. So how do you take back time? Well, the next thing we know, we get a phone call at our home in uh, Noonan, Georgia, from Lou Duva. Now, Lou Duva is a big-time He's like he's he's second only to Don King as far as big time promoters, managers in boxing. Wow, right. man. And he calls us and he says, Hey guys, we saw the Ebos back in boxing. We um we want him to come down to Miami and fight on our boxing show uh, against our undefeated top prospect, Oscar Diaz, and we want you to do it. At welterweight division, two weight divisions heavier than I was fighting. Oh and wow! Oh my gosh! And do it in 19 days. Oh wow! So when I heard that, you know, my my dad was like, "There's no way," you know. I mean, he's like, you know, there's. We knew the odds of winning were zero. Mm-hmm. But I told my dad, my who was my trainer at the time, I said, I said, I know I can't do it. But I know this is God, and that's why I know we'll win this fight. Mm-hmm. And this is how we get back lots of wasted time. We beat a 17-0 hot prospect. That's how we do it. Yeah. So we went to Miami. We show up at the uh, Mikasuki Casino. ESPN producers are walking out, and they see us. They remembered us from like three years earlier. And they were like, hey, guys, it's great to see you, but what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Are you guys guys nuts? And we're like, and I told him, I said, look, just come see me after the fight. Yeah. Yeah. So we go into the fight, man. And uh, there's a, you know, I could talk to you for the next three hours about what God showed me in the fight and, and, and teaching me his word in a boxing match is really crazy. But long story short, I won nine out of ten rounds on the oh, wow. cards and shocked the audience and everybody. Just shocked everybody, man. And immediately we were back in the in the big picture. Wow. And, um anyway, so fast forward 
I had my third, fourth, fifth comeback fight. My fifth fight was uh, was for a minor belt. It was at the uh, Georgia Mountain Center in Gainesville, Georgia. Um, and when I won that, um, it earned me what is called a title eliminator. And that title eliminator was my last fight of 2004. Um, it was the it was a fight that was nominated to be fight of the year and knockout of the year on Showtime. Oh wow! Steve Farhood, Showtime boxing commentator, said it was the greatest moment in Showbox history. Wow! So, yeah, um, Sugar Ray Leonard. When I was on the Contender, we're sitting in the hotel and uh, I'm leaning over a balcony, looking out, just talking to some guys, and I heard a voice yell across the room. Evo Elder, that Cordy Burton fight is the best fight I ever saw, man. And I oh, turned man. with Sugar A. Leonard. Saying, oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> crazy. I, yeah, I was like, for Sugar A. Leonard to say that was one of the best fights he's ever seen was pretty amazing. Anyway, yeah. were, were you just like like starstruck when you when you saw and heard that? Yeah, a, a little bit, but I, I had already known uh, Sugar A. Leonard from a few years earlier, we almost signed a pro contract with him. So, oh wow, man! It was yeah, it was it was uh, it was just certainly an honor to have one of the greatest fighters in the history of boxing say something like that. Right. I mean, what a compliment! That's incredible. That's incredible, man. Yeah, but anyway, so that fight, that Corny Burton fight, that is a huge part of my testimony. And um, I mean, I, I show a clip of that fight. I've shown a clip of that fight. It probably. 800 900 churches wow. around the country and and shared the message god gave me through but anyway that was my sixth comeback fight and that earned me a world title shot so seventh comeback fight scheduled for april 23rd 2005 caesar's palace main event las vegas pay-per-view uh against undefeated undisputed lightweight world champion Juan the baby bull Diaz. So we go out there and train for three months. And one week before the fight, Juan Diaz camp calls us. And long story short, they backed out of the fight. They never, they never would do it. And, um, I mean, there's a lot to this. That's why I wrote a book about it. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But, but, uh, you know, it's so interesting you know, so we either misinterpreted uh, what my buddy, you know, the Lord had put on my buddy's heart, you know, about the seventh comeback fight, or, you know, we either misinterpreted it or, or you know, but I don't know if we misinterpreted it or what, or maybe he just heard wrong. But the, the point is this, faith, Jesus said, if you have a mustard seed of faith, you can tell a mountain to jump into the ocean. Here's the deal. We had a mustard seed of faith that my seventh comeback fight was going to be for a world title. Yeah. And guess what? It was. <laughs> All amazing. the way up to a week before it. And then it's like the Lord said, nah, nah, I got something better for you, man. I don't want you to get caught up in wealth and fame and get distracted from what I've called you to. Yeah. Right. Right. Man. So, like, was it... Uh... Did it take some time after after he backed out of that world title fight to like kind of 
like see that God had something different for you or was it just like a, an immediate like, well, yeah, this, this has got to be, you know, what God wants? No, you know, man, to be honest, it took me, um, that was 2005. It took a year, over a year and a half and two more boxing matches for me to realize what God was doing. And here's mm. why. When we are self-absorbed, when we're all focused on what's not going how we want it to go, and we're consumed with our problems, we can often miss what God is doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, so, you know, Acts chapter one, Jesus gives the disciples the greatest news they've ever received. He says in Acts chapter one, verse eight, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and, and you shall be witnesses to me and Judea and Jerusalem and, you know, Samaria and other most parts of the world. Well, that's the greatest news they had ever heard, that they were going to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, um, unselective, non-selective, just freely. That's the greatest news they had ever been given. Yeah. And what they say, their response is comical. <laughs> they said, well, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, we didn't even hear what you just said, although it's the greatest news in eternity past, or yeah. at least. But we want to know if you're going to do what we want you to do when when we want you to do it. Exactly. Exactly. It's, and that's what happened to me, man. I was so caught up in my world title shot and, and you know the hundred and fifty grand that I was almost made and the millions that were, you know, right around the corner and the fame and the TV and and I just I, I really I missed what God was doing for about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And um, a year and a half later, coming up on New Year's Eve 2000 and going into 2007, so New Year's Eve 2006, uh, I, I remember um, I was trying to get things back going in my career. I had just come off the uh, reality show The Contender. I didn't, I, I didn't do very well as far as winning on the show. But um, but I was I was way out of my weight division, way heavy, and I anyway I was ready to go back to my fight weight and and have a great you know comeback in my career, and I had been invited to speak at a church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. Um, I had never really spoke anywhere, but I but I eagerly accepted. It sounded like a, a fun thing to me, so sure. And that night when I was speaking to this couple hundred teenagers at this New Year's Eve youth event. God was speaking to me, and, and the whole time I was speaking, I kept hearing him say, you're never going to fight again. You're leaving. <laughs> oh, gosh. And you're going to do a life in ministry. Now, look, this, three weeks later, I already had a fight scheduled at, back at Caesars Palace on the Juan Urango Ricky had an undercard. Oh, wow. So it was already, everything was in the works, man. I, had, I was ready to fight. We had a big plan. And God said, you, you're never going to fight again. So... What did I do? Well, God said, go to Nineveh, and I went to Tarshish. <laughs> <laughs> I read from what God was saying, because it's the last thing I wanted to hear. And, right. and, and over the next few days, everything fell apart. My, my fight got pulled off the card. It was canceled. 
And it, it was just like God said, hey, you know, we can make do this the easy way or the hard way. <laughs> right. I mean, you got like really thrown into that fish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I'm just like, okay, Lord, you know, I guess I'm going to start a ministry. You give me no other option. I mean, sure, I guess I have to, you know. So this is January 2007, and I uh, we just got a computer, you know, not everybody had a computer in you know early 2000s and uh we just got a little dell desktop computer and i get on that computer man and i start searching for churches of the denomination we attended in the state of georgia and i called hundreds of churches and i said look god's calling me to leave the sport of boxing um i i've got a you know pretty you know, a, a pretty cool testimony and I'd love to share with anybody, and I don't need anything to come, and I'll cover all my own expenses. Can you can you give me an opportunity? And I had that conversation with about, I don't know, five, six, seven hundred churches, and not one church gave me an invitation. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And three, you know, <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> So about three weeks of cold calling churches, and I had gotten nowhere. And, you know, the, the boxing money had been gone a long time before that. And, you know, I'm like, Lord, you, you know, called me in the ministry, and now what do I do? And, right. and, um, and I got a, a message on the social media platform MySpace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you may remember that one, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh man, I miss I miss ranking my friends. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> with, with Tom, the guy Tom that started MySpace. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> interesting. So I get this message from a guy on MySpace. He says, "Ebo, my name is Philip McIntosh, and and my dad pastors a church here in San Diego, and we happen to catch you on the Contender." And we saw you lost on the contender. But when you lost, instead of being all upset, you stood on God's word. And we can tell you really know Jesus. We want you to come share at our church. And, I, and he said, I don't, I'm not sure if you're even into that kind of thing or whatnot, but we'd love for you to come. So let me know what you think. And, and I was blown away, man, because I, I was like, how would they even know to contact me? This is crazy. So, but mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, it's probably like a little church plant or something. So, but that's great. So let's go. So they flew me and my wife to San Diego. And they pick us up at the airport in a big black suburban. They take us to a really nice hotel, drop us off, and they leave the suburban. They say, look, anything you need, put it on the room, and you can drive the suburban all weekend. Wow. And me and my wife look at each other. And we're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I show up. To a Saturday night service to about twenty five hundred people. Oh my oh, wow. gosh, that's crazy! And yeah, and um, and, and and I just saw that God was much bigger than my circumstances, you know, and and um, and you know, it's really like the Lord was just like, you know, you've been trying to build this ministry in the flesh for three weeks, and you ain't got nowhere. Look, mm-hmm. man. Is it going to be a work of the flesh or a work of my spirit? You know, trust me. Yeah. And um, so anyway, we get home from that trip, and uh, I was like, "Well, that was great, great trip, great ministry." 
But now what? <laughs> right? That's just one one event. Yeah. Sure enough, a couple of weeks later, the the pastor at that church had called a buddy of his, uh, Poncho Juarez at Calvary Chapel Montebello, and um, he calls me up in a thick Mexican accent, says, "You know, Ebo, we want you to come speak at our church." So I go out there and. You know, the the second church I really ever spoke at was a church of about 6,000 people. And, wow. And it just kind of took off, man. And, you know, I tell you, the Lord, it, it, had, it took off, but it was a very testing time. Just really trusting the Lord, man. And uh, I can honestly look back and say he's never let us down, not one single time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. My, my wife and I, we kind of experience the same thing. And so, um, you know, our entire ministry is, is faith-based. So we, we, you know, raise our own support and all that kind of stuff. And it, it seems that every single time we try to, you know, make funds come in ourselves or anytime that we get stressed about finances, like God, I mean, just like you said, I mean, God shows himself faithful. And it's like, why in the world did we ever doubt his faithfulness in this? And if you just step out on faith and in pursuit of sharing the gospel and doing what he wants. It's just amazing to see how he blesses that. And so hearing your story is, man, that's, that's incredible. That's encouraging to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got about 37 more of those stories (laughs) to just, to just keep, you know, just keep showing the faithfulness of God, man. He's, it's pretty incredible. You know, here, here's our tendency though. Our tendency is to get back in the flesh. Right. Mm-hmm. That's our tendency. It's, I know it's mine. Right, and, right. And um, and he, he's faithful to just keep reminding me, hey, man, don't get in the flesh. It's not, 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 it's by my, by my spirit, says the Lord. And um, yeah, one of these days I'm going to, I'm hopefully going to learn that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, same here. And like you mentioned earlier that one of the things that you struggled with um, kind of with your early career was your identity being caught up in your, um, in your career and your boxing career. And, and I, man, I do the exact same thing and I'm sure Ethan experiences the same thing, but it's, um, so I, another question I had for you was like, do you see that often with, um, professional people in professional sports, whether it be boxing or, or football or whatever, do you think that's maybe one of the biggest hurdles for for some people when it comes to faith in Christ and in the professional sports world? Yeah, you know, I really, I, I totally think that's a huge issue, but not only in sports, you know, really anything people do that is um, applauded by crowds, you know, whether it be, mm-hmm. you know, CEOs and, you know, and, and you know, big time music artists and and actors and anything where you get a large fan base or followings of people. I think it's so easy to fall into wrapping your identity around that, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's why there's, you know, so many pro athletes, well, especially boxers stick around way too long is because it's who they are. And, 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 you know, if you leave boxing, who are you? And right. it's so important that we learn our identity is in Christ alone. And, you know, honestly, in ministry, so my, my, my tendency to make my identity wrap it up in boxing 
it bled right into ministry. So all of a sudden, you know, um, I let ministry, yeah, and I, I shouldn't say all of a sudden, it took about 10 years and ministry started to become my God. Right. Mm -hmm. And I became a, a Martha instead of a Mary, you know, just, it was all about what I did for the Lord, you know, what I was doing in ministry and reaching people and pro-life ministry and making videos and, you know, uh, teaching, teaching, teaching three services a week. And it just became, um, really ministry became my God. Mm -hmm. And that was about two and a half years ago. And I, it really, it, it caught up to me, you know, Jesus said, you can do nothing without me. And, um, and I was trying really, really hard, but I was disconnected from the vine, man. You know, uh, the John 15, five passage there, I was mm -hmm. disconnected from Jesus. And that really affected everything in my life. It affected my marriage, my relationship with my kids. Um, my own personal integrity was, it just tested everything. And, um, about two years ago, I decided to take some time out of ministry just to step out. Um, uh, we, we left the church where I was on staff at and, uh, I quit traveling and basically took some time to just really refocus and, and build my relationship with Jesus yet again. And, uh, and I can honestly say the greatest work God has done in my life, apart from my salvation experience, um, was took place uh, in my life the end of 2017. And God just did a radical work and set me free from really years of some pretty uh, serious bondage and um, just just agreeing with the lies of the enemy, man. Yeah. Well, and, and even me being in the medical field, you know, absolutely can understand that because I see that a lot, you know, uh, with just culturally doctors get a lot of, you know, respect. And there's that, uh, I, don't, I don't know, there's this weird hierarchy of, you know, if you're a doctor, you, you're you automatically trusted as this like higher authority, you know, um, yeah. in any situation, um, which can definitely be not good you know it can become yeah your your entire identity and you yeah. have to be in, intentional about about staying focused on christ as our identity but yeah. you, you mentioned your ministry michael mentioned that it's called reality ministries is that right yeah yeah you know so our ministry started um when i was boxing my entourage was called the ebo tribe <laughs> that's awesome okay man yeah i forget you get cool things like entourages when you're a professional boxer <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um the Igbo tribe is actually a tribe from nigeria um and and long story to the name there why i'm named Igbo. i'm not nigerian by the way <laughs> but <laughs> but um but yeah, so when we left boxing, the ministry starts, we called the ministry Ebo Tribe Ministries. But, you know, it started making people think that I named it after me, and I really didn't like that idea. So um, a couple years later, I decided to name it, uh, go by the name Reality. And, uh, you know, um, the, the familiar phrase, it's not religion, it's relationship, and 
And I kind of tokened off that. And, you know, it's not religion, it's reality. Mm-hmm, and, right. uh, and, you know, Jesus, the, the secular definition of reality actually fits Jesus perfectly, if, if you ever have time to check it out. But just this idea that one who is unchanged by anything, it's, um, you know, self... Um, uh, self-dependent, you know, not changed by perception or, you know, Jesus is reality. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so we called our ministry reality and, um, and yeah, uh, our website, actually I'm in the middle of a kind of a building a new website. They're both up. Uh, I want reality.com is our ministry website. Um, eboelder.com is where my book is and I'm actually in the process of transferring all the content from iwantreality.com to eboelder.com uh, but it's going to take some time so for the time being I'm just I'm just promoting eboelder.com because it's got my book on there and that's um, that's kind of the, uh, the forefront of my uh, attention span right now but Awesome. Uh, so is your, does your ministry focus on like the, the speaking engagements? And you also mentioned that you did kind of uh, more evangelistic focused things as well. Yeah, you know, um, through the past 12 years of ministry, uh, it's been, you know, as the Lord leads. I mean, the Lord has led us in so many directions from serving on staff at churches to traveling evangelism to um teaching bible studies which you know so our ministry began uh, my initial gifting was as an evangelist and i I, um i've had some great opportunities to speak at incredible events all over the nation um spoke at an event back in 2010 one of the biggest i've spoke at um a july 4th event um in Southern California, had 18,000 people at it, you know, 1,100 people responded to the invitation, you know, just incredible stuff. Um, You know, it's it's, uh, really uh, incredible what God has done in the evangelism arena for the past 12 years, but then he's also led me into more of a Bible teaching role, which, you know, the church is in need of both, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, to do the work of the evangelist and and also just to teach the scriptures, you know, um, Genesis to Revelation, the body of Christ needs to be built up with the word of God. And uh, unfortunately, I feel like the body of Christ in our, in our era is lacking in a foundation in the word. Yeah. And it's not because we don't have access to it. We have more access to the, to the word of God than any, any <laughs> era in human history. Right, yeah, right, right. It's it's everywhere we look, but you know, as as Scripture says, it's not a famine of the word; it's a famine of the hearer of right. the word. And um, you know, it takes things like nine eleven and tragedy sometimes to bring us back to our you know spiritual brokenness. You know, mm-hmm. but um, but but the Lord, you know, he, he certainly knows that. So anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, truth for doubt, it's it's a uh, primarily a, an apologetics ministry, 
And so one of the things that I was wanting to ask you is that, you know, through all of your traveling and through all of your like speaking engagements and um, and just talking with, you know, you've talked with individuals, you know, all over the country, I'm sure all over the world. Um, has there been main arguments from unbelievers that you've heard more than others, maybe like a, against the Christian faith or maybe even like misunderstandings that unbelievers have about Christianity that you've had to clear up or anything like that? And, and if so, how did you go about answering those? Yeah, certainly there are lots of misunderstandings about Christianity from a person who is, you know, far from the faith, you know, someone who hasn't been exposed, you know, hasn't grown up in church, like most of us in the Southeast. And there are a lot of misunderstandings and, and it's easy to see why the church has grossly misrepresented Jesus to the world. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In large part, the last thing I'll ever do is try to defend church history. (laughs) So there are lots of misunderstandings from the lost world. Um, but I tell you, I, I don't find, typically speaking, it isn't a problem of information. It's a problem of a hard heart. Yeah. Um, I find, you know, here's the thing. The Lord wills that no one perish. God's mm-hmm. desire is that everyone be saved. And he will do whatever it takes to reach everyone who will be saved. You know, there's there's no one. The Bible says that no one will have an excuse. Romans chapter one says when when every one of us stand before God, no one will have an excuse. And and I've I've put it this way before. Anyone who is willing to be saved will be saved. Nobody's going to die too early or not have a chance to receive Christ or not have anybody share Jesus with them. That's Mm -hmm. not going to look. God can get everybody. God can save everybody on his own if he wants to. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and, and everyone who is willing to be saved will be saved. The issue ultimately comes down to hard hearts, hard hearts, pride, rebellion. And, um, and unfortunately, you know, uh, that that's a, a lot of the time the case. I think it has a lot to do, especially in America, with our, you know, we're spoiled rotten, man. We're yeah. And we have every, you know, we have our air conditioning and our cars and our, you know, gas is two fifty a gallon, and you know we're in moderate peace, and I'm not fearful of my life every day. I mean, we we are spoiled rotten. That's right? the truth. Yeah. And you know what did Jesus say? He said, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a place of brokenness we have to get to, to to, you know, to um, to receive Christ, to to open our hearts to Him. We have to reach a place of brokenness and humility. Mm-hmm. And our the the prosperity of America isn't a great um, uh, promoter of that. So yeah, yeah, it's a. It's not it's it's not always easy to see the need for Christ, I guess, you know, if you're not in the setting of uh, of being, yeah, like in the southeast where Christianity is so common, you know, um, you're not hungry and you're not looking for where your next meal is or, you know, having to deal with uh, being homeless or what the weather's going to be, you know, 
uh, yeah, we definitely live very comfortable lives. Yeah, go seven days without food, not knowing where you'll get your next meal with somebody trying to hunt you down to take your life. And you'll realize, you know, I probably do need God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. But, uh, but, you know, it's um, that's just the way it is in, in our country. But, you know, people, I don't know, man. You know, is there any questions? Has anything really hit you? That you see a lot that people ask, um, maybe that I'm not thinking about? Um, yeah, I think it, it's really, it, it depends. I mean, a lot of what you said is absolutely true. It's not usually an intellectual issue. Um, so the majority of the people that I've been in contact with and that I've had these conversations with, it, it usually comes down to every now and then they'll use these, you know, these scientific arguments, these these atheistic, uh, naturalistic material arguments against God. But that's usually a smokescreen for things like um, the problem of evil. Like they had um, they had someone in their family die at a young age, or um, they've experienced these these evils in their life, um, or they've even just, you know, seen horrible things on TV. And um, a lot of it is comes down to the problem of evil evil and being able to to answer that and then connect them to the the truth that god is good and that god is is loving and desires a relationship with them um has has been huge but even the problem of evil i mean like you said it's often a smokescreen issue too because of the the issue of the hard heart because i mean you said it perfectly with romans one you know the nature sings to the glory of God and um, and gives no man an excuse because they can know of his um, you know eternal attributes and things like that and so no man is uh, is without excuse and so it really does come to this hard heart and this desire to not bend their knee to anyone but themselves um, yeah. and I I think you see that from you know the the very beginning in Genesis um, you know when um, Adam and Eve partake of the apple because they were tempted by um, by Satan, and they wanted to be um, the new arbiters of what is right and what is wrong, and, and take that for themselves. And I, ultimately, I think that is the the fundamental issue, and everything else kind of just covers it up. It's more of a control issue. Yeah, we yeah. want to be in control. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Romans 1 says that they suppress the truth, not that they don't know the truth. Exactly. It's, exactly. A, it's a willful ignorance, and, and and I find that a lot. But I tell you, I love when people bring up scientific arguments, because there's not one true scientific argument that contradicts anything the Scriptures say. Right, yeah, exactly. And, and, and real science will lead you to believe in the God of the Bible. Absolutely. You know, the facts are science wouldn't even be possible if it wasn't for the God of the Bible, because, you know, we need things like um, um, consistency in, in the in the universe and and dependability, you know, in order to do study, to do a scientific study, mm -hmm. things need to be consistent. Things need to be um, um, um I can't even think right now the, the wording I'm going for, but but the reason we can trust that our experiments and that science works and that 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 math 
exist and these type of things is because the God of the Bible upholds the universe yeah. in order and consistency. And if we were in an evolutionary universe, science wouldn't even be possible. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It was interesting. One of one of the other um, uh, guys that we interviewed several weeks ago kind of put it like this: that that science, like science, is just observation of of nature, you know, and and it's observation of uh, of God's creation, and so you know, science in and of itself can't contradict God because God created, it's just observation of, of God's creation. Um, and these deeper ideas that I think what people sort of present as scientific ideas are really more like philosophical ideas. Yeah. They go a little deeper. Yeah. Right. And you know, when people talk about you know, how could a loving God allow evil into the world and this this type of thing? Well, it, it, right when they say that when they identify something as evil or or bad, then there has to be good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and if you're saying things are bad and things are good, well, you've immediately you've stepped outside of an evolutionary universe because an evolutionary universe, nothing matters. Exactly. Nothing, mm -hmm. nothing is good. Nothing is bad. It just is. And as soon as you say good and bad, you have now um, set up a moral standard uh, of good and bad, right and wrong. And, and and as soon as you determine there's a moral standard, there has to be a moral lawgiver. And that that would obviously lead us down a path to to the God of the Bible. So absolutely. You know, so I think I think one of the main um, objections people have when when I talk to them in just you know random uh, occasions is they often say you know because I, I I use the scriptures when I'm talking to people and, and I, I think we should do that, um, mm -hmm. but they often say well you you know that they they deny the authority of the Bible deny the authority of God's word mm -hmm. and. Um, and they and I think one of the biggest problems is people think they know the Bible, or think they know it has contradictions, or think they know it was written by man, and they think they know these things, but they don't have a clue what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And if you really study the Bible, the the there are you know endless reasons why we can know. It is of divine origin. It's not a man-made book. It's of divine origin, mm -hmm. and um, and we can trust it. And um, you know, when I'm talking to people, I like to keep it really simple, and I like to go to the the real issue. And the real issue is sin. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. That's the issue for mankind. That's that's the big. That's the problem. Is yeah. so I like to keep things simple because. You know, you can get on rabbit trails with people and you can have, you know, great debaters and people that will just, you know, make you want to pull your hair out and, and get nowhere in, you know, hours of conversation. Mm -hmm. I always like to take people back to the issue of sin because Jesus, he's the only one who took care of our sin. I was yep. just reading tonight in First John chapter 2, it says, he himself is the propitiation of our sins. Yeah. Not Ron L. Hubbard, not, you know, Muhammad, not yeah. Buddha. None of them are the propitiation of our sins. Only Jesus. 
Right. Right. Anyway, uh, a lot of people don't see their need for God, especially here in the U.S., until you bring up the, the issue of sin. And, and, you know, once you get people to a place of theism through, you know, just logical reasoning and, and scientific debate, you can get people to a place of theism. Mm-hmm. And, and then and then you say, well, um, you know, it, 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 God is holy. First John chapter one says there's no darkness in him at all. So. How are we going to be with God if we have sin in our life? There has right. to be a, a substitutionary atonement. And you kind of lay it out for them. And it just opens us up to, hey, every one of us have the same need. Every one of us need a Savior. Right. We're all in that same boat. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No matter where you live, what area you live in, no, no matter what your background, we all need a Savior because we've yep. all sinned, you know. Yeah. Amen. Well, man, that's a, I could easily talk to you for hours and hours and um, man, I would absolutely love to have you back on. Cause I mean, I think we just, we got into such good stuff here at the end and, and I just want to keep going, but uh, we got to put a cap on this. Um, Evo, yeah. man, thank you so much. This was, this was awesome. Yeah. Well, let's do it again, man. I, I, I enjoyed it. Awesome. Great, man. Well, uh, hopefully we will talk to you soon and and um, man, we'll be looking for that book to come out. When's it? Do you have a projected date of when it may come out? Well, anybody that pre-orders it right now will get chapters as they're available. Which honestly, we should have the first chapter available in about the next two weeks, and then an additional chapter every two weeks after that for six months. So it's twelve chapters, and um, and basically, I'm going to give them a downloadable you know, PDF of each chapter as we go. And that way they can read the book and, and know the book. And then for our public launch date in, in later this year, um, then we'll, you know, they can go and support it on Amazon with download free downloads and they'll all get a free audio book and, uh, lots of, lots of extras as well. So I'd encourage people to go and pre-order right now at eboelder.com. And, um, and then if you want to wait until the paper, the, the paper copy is actually ready, that'll be probably five or six months from now. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Did, where can people find you on? I mean, we, we got your website. Uh, can they find you on social media anywhere as well? Yeah, just Ebo Elder on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome. I'm the only one. Perfect. Hey, I mean, Ebo is not a, the most common name in the world, so... <laughs> Yeah, I'm the only I'm the only white redneck Ebo anyway. <laughs> Perfect. Well, it makes it easy to find. Awesome. Well, that's yeah. great. Well, hey, thank you again so much, and uh, and we'll definitely talk again soon. Really good meeting well, you, man. Thank you, guys. Have a great night. Thank you for listening to the Truth for Doubt discussion series. If you would like to know how you could support the Truth for Doubt ministry. Please go to truthfordoubt.com slash give or visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash T4D.